If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. And I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. Should you want to watch the program live or on demand? And who can blame you if you wanted to do that? All right. So, look, I've gone back and forth a couple of times um, there's a couple of things I want to get to today, and I think what I want to do first here is share, after the program yesterday, um, immediately after the program yesterday, I had a conversation with Senator Mike Braun from, of course, the great state of Indiana, and I wanted to ask him a couple of things about the legislation that just passed that Trump signed in into law. I wanted to talk with him about um, just what's in that legislation, the pork in that legislation, um, weighing the decision as to you know how to proceed given given the circumstances economically in this country, and then of course realizing we're dealing <clears throat> with a I don't know a, a radical group of leftists in Congress that put all sorts of freebies and, and goodies in this deal. And so we talk about that. Uh, talk about uh, the response to this. Talk about the way that Trump has been been demonized in this as well. And so I want to share that with you this segment because there's other things I want to get to as well. And I don't want them uh, – I'd like it to – I want to make sure that we share this interview because it, I think it's it's important to hear – from a senator's perspective, what's happening, what what they're dealing with. Um, and, of course, you can make your decisions on your own as to whether or not you agree or think that there should have been more pushback or what have you. And I know many of you, many of you uh, don't uh, – I'm sorry, just Oz gave me a, a note here that I'm trying to figure out on the fly here. But um, – Anyway, let me let me share this conversation I had with Senator Mike Braun, Indiana, yesterday regarding coronavirus, regarding the legislation, and then as the program comes together, there's some other important things I want to get to get to as well. But let's start here with our conversation with Senator Mike Braun, Indiana. 
Well, I have on the phone with me Senator Mike Braun, Republican from the great state of Indiana, a friend of this program. Senator Braun, it's always good to have you. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, great to be on your show, Todd. Well, it's always good to have you. Now, I've, I've gotten some questions uh, from this coronavirus bill. As you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm sure there's a lot that you didn't like, a lot mm. of this pork and other spending and so forth. Um, it passed 96 to 0 in in the Senate. So I guess explain the thought process on passing passing this in spite of those uh, concerns that you had regarding some of the, the pork that's in there. Well, since I've been here, um, I'll give you this uh, quick vignette about the federal government. Uh, there's been nothing of substance done other than the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, December. And that, Todd, happened, and I think that set the stage for this economy that was on fire before the bug came along. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took just 51 votes because it was through a process called reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last major piece of legislation that was the criminal justice reform bill. And shortly after I got there, I said, by the way, how long have you been working on it? 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was motivated by the fact that we're r- running out of prison space across the nation. So nothing ever gets done you know, very quickly, and as big as the government is, I think we need to pause on anything we do. It is like the Hatfields and McCoys out there when it comes to most policy issues other than health care, which there were a lot of senators wanting to reform the broken industry. When you come to this, sure enough, we had task forces put together, Democrats and Republicans, and as of Sunday a week ago, we thought we had it across the finish line. Then Nancy Pelosi strolls into town mm-hmm. and had a grab bag of stuff that was appalling. To me, it was just a, amazing that that would even be brought up in try, trying to do policy things around trying to do something that's going to offset what the government has caused in terms of shutting down mm-hmm. the economy. And I'm, that's a whole other discussion. I think until we get the disease tamped down, we're not going to get back to where we can get, you know, have any type of life back to the way it was. Um, but sadly, that delayed it three to four days, and we fended off most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, to get it across the finish line because we were starting to – they were using that as leverage to put some of this stuff in, like the Kennedy Center. center. And most of it, though, we were able to avoid. It was pure policy stuff that ranged from climate – to Social Security reform, and just a ton of other stuff, uh, voting, um, you know, discussions and so forth. So uh, all in all, uh, the small businesses and people that have been dislocated early, uh, having to shutter their businesses and lose their jobs, we did that. And then more broadly, it put liquidity into the system for the rest of uh, companies that have really had anywhere from 30 to 40 percent business drop-off, and this would be the ripple effect, not mm-hmm. the main industries that we know about, airlines, hotels, bars and restaurants. So anyway. So the urgency of the matter, of course, is, is a major factor here because you can't hit a pause button on the economy. People still have to, to pay employees, and and we've got a major problem on that front. And so that's just a calculation, and, and the Democrats threw this stuff in here, and, and we got the best that we could get. Well, I think that's – I was on the Small Business Task Force, uh, and um, we, I think, framed that as well as we could. 
that's a different portal. That's a different component that is aimed at businesses 500 employees and fewer. Uh, the general liquidity piece was for those larger. That was a faux argument in terms of bailout. Uh, 2008 was systemic where you had the finance industry and a few others. It was an auto and commercial real estate crisis, mm -hmm. of course, is what it was called. There, that was different. Here, uh, everything that we did with the economy was a result of trying to listen to the healthcare experts to flatten that curve without mm -hmm. flattening you know, the economic patient to boot. So, uh, and there was some urgency. A lot of businesses, uh, small ones especially, have no lines of credit, you know, had exhausted any cash uh, balances, and it'll still be another week to 10 days before they can probably get a small business loan process. Mm -hmm. That's why it made it urgent. So what are those things in the bill for for the regular taxpayer, the employee, and for the business owner that you feel is important that they understand is out there because, of course, the average person running their business, there's a lot to manage already, and knowing what's in this piece of legislation, um, it, it can be more confusing than, than many uh, may believe at, at first glance. So what are some things that we should know about in this legislation? So let's first of all talk about the individual. So uh, the here's another um, uh, point of irony. On the unemployment insurance, that was the main scuffle that we brought up. Every Republican voted to make sure that with this enhanced benefit that it does not exceed the market wage so that there wasn't a disincentive mm -hmm. for people coming back to work if they were laid off. Well, every Democrat voted uh, against making sure it was under that uh, wage threshold, uh, every Republican, you know, took the opposite point of view. We didn't win on that issue. Um, unemployment insurance was probably the place we as, uh, let's see, it was um, Senator um, Rick Scott, uh, Ben Sass, Ron Johnson, and I, and maybe one or two others did an amendment on phase two that would have enhanced unemployment insurance, but it would not have been at a level that was then going to bring that point into play. So, Individuals will have access immediately if they're laid off to enhanced unemployment for a period of, uh, I think it sunsets after three months, and that's the first place individuals directly impacted are going to benefit. The other part that none of us really liked, but it was the only way to get money into the economy, and that is the check that you hear about. It's uh, 1200 bucks per individual, up to 2400 for a couple, and 500 for each child. Uh, those will be out three to four weeks. And Todd, that's as quick as the government can do it mm -hmm. because in 08 they had a similar feature. It took three to four months. So I guess you'd say that's an improvement. Those are the two places that individuals that have been impacted will benefit. Small businesses will have to go to the portal of uh, the Small Business Administration as the guideline to where you access loans to cover your payroll and your fixed expenses, maybe mortgages and or leases during that three to four month period. That's the one-two punch I was mostly interested in. Larger companies generally have cash balances, lines of credit, but still many of them, through no fault of their own, 
you know, are going to be out of business. When I flew home, six of us were on, I think, the Southwest flight. Four were airline employees. Uh, it looked like a ghost town mm-hmm. in, at the Louisville airport. So uh, there will be stuff that you can access as quick as government can probably do it, and some will be fall, fall through the cracks because they couldn't last that long. Sure. Well, I know you've got to go in here in just a minute. I have one more question for you. How, what do you say? I mean, you probably saw Pelosi over the weekend saying that Trump was fiddling as the coronavirus was spreading and Chuck Todd's question of Joe Biden on Meet the Press, um, whether or not Trump has, quote, blood on his hands yeah. <laughs> regarding this coronavirus response. What do you, what do you say um, to those who criticize fr- uh, Trump for not acting quickly enough or for making this, I mean, all about politics at this particular point as we're dealing with this crisis. Yeah, and I think that for President Trump is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, that dynamic was in place from the day he got elected, manifested itself in the Mueller report, and then the second phase of impeachment uh, uh, that failed, uh, and then this came along. And it didn't surprise me at all that that was going to be weaponized when uh, just because our leader talks about maybe being aspirational to get back to where we were before. I think that's smart because until we truly do that, we're not going to get beyond it. We're also not going to get beyond it until we tamp the disease down. So it's a very tricky dynamic, and President Trump will not get credit really uh, from the other side because they're still litigating, uh, in my opinion, uh, what motivated them to come out with a weak case for impeachment. I think uh, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, His uh, approval ratings have gone up during all this because I think he has taken the point of view that you need to be broad in how you tackle this and that the main thing we need to accomplish is to kill the bug without killing the economy. And I think he straddled that issue as well as anyone. And the number one thing that he did early, Todd, was banning travel from China and Europe, which he gets no credit for. Otherwise, it'd be twice as bad, in my opinion, with what we're dealing with currently. And look look at the carnage in New York. That's exactly right. Well, Senator Braun, I know you're a busy man. You've got a tight schedule, so I'm going to let you go. Um, I appreciate you joining us as always. And um, – any uh, any last words you'd have to, to share with those in the, the audience that are Hoosiers? No, I think that um, uh, the state of Indiana is going to be in that middle cross-section. Uh, we've got you know one area of high population density, and the rest of the state is going to reflect uh, you know some of the more rural states. And I think that as we navigate through this, we get more data on the disease itself, I like the idea that President Trump is talking about how we do, in a selective way, start to roll things back to where we get closer to normal. And I think, like I said earlier, that's going to be a tricky thing to do. Stay optimistic. uh, Do the simple stuff like social distancing. And if you're feeling bad uh, or you self-quarantine, we'll get through this. The strength of this country is built on how we overcome great adversity, not hunkering down uh, totally to uh, get through something. So uh, I feel optimistic that uh, even though it might not be Easter now, I know that the protocol has been extended to April 30th. Uh, We'll uh, get to that uh, point in time, and 
I expect Hoosiers, uh, like all of us, will debrief after the fact to see what we learn about this for the next time it happens down the road. Well, that's right. Well, I appreciate you. Definitely. One thing I, d- I appreciate about you very much is that you're out there in front of this. You're taking media appearances. It's one thing that I really think the Republican Party needs to be better at, individual Republican senators. So I, uh, you have a great deal of my respect for how you go out there, try to address uh, address the the rumors and the, the things that the Democrats are saying. I think you do a wonderful job, sir, and I appreciate you joining our program today. Thank you, Todd. Welcome back. I want to thank Senator Mike Braun for joining us, for giving us uh, a little bit of, I guess, background information, update as to what's going on in Washington, D.C. I know um, there's lots of questions about this, lots of concerns about the amount of pork in the legislation that was passed, and rightfully so, rightfully so. And so Senator Braun was trying to articulate what exactly was going on, uh, and this sort of thing happens um, with with a lot of legislation. Not not acceptable. I don't know. Um, yeah, just the mentality of the of the individuals that put this stuff in, and I know that there's some frustration with with the individuals that allow it allow it to happen. The problem happens whenever you've got. A majority of those people, at least in one of the bodies, the House of Representatives, of course, it passed the Senate first. And look, I mean, there's all sorts of obstacles here. You get the filibuster, which requires 60 votes in the Senate. Then you've got a majority uh, of leftists in the House. What would what would happened? Uh, What would have happened should they have fought this? I'm not saying that they shouldn't have fought harder. I. It's just it's an imperfect situation, and we've got some truly radical people in there that are looking to to politically take advantage of this to watch. Uh, I, when they think that when they think that a falling stock market and bad unemployment could help them politically, again, they didn't cause this, but when they when they have that as leverage, I, what do you do if you're the folks that are trying to prevent further calamity in the markets, in the economy, you're trying to instill confidence. How do you pass legislation when you're dealing with with people like that on the other side? I don't know. These, these are all questions that um, are, well, irrelevant for this particular legislation now, but it does matter. We do have to find a way to prevent these things from happening in the future. And I'd, I've got to be honest, when, when the makeup is like it is, it's going to be hard to do that. It really is. When you have people who will insert things into legislation that has no business being there for the purpose of the legislation, when they're able to get away with that because they hold positions of power and they've got enough votes within their particular caucus, they're uh, their party, if they've got a majority as they do in the House or even in the Senate, they've got a veto or excuse me, a, a filibuster proof uh, majority in that. They're, they're not the majority, but they've got enough to filibuster, I guess, is the way of saying that. So what do you do? 
what do you do? I mean, it's doesn't do any good to be simply a uh, theoretical, ideological purist if we can't if we can't fix a problem. But at the same time, at the same time, these things have real dollar signs attached to them, representing real money raised by, paid by, paid for by the American taxpayer, and in some instances, paid for by taxpayers in generations away from us because of the amount of debt and so forth. Anyway, there, there's real problems. I appreciate Senator Broad coming on and, and talking about that and sharing what's going on inside the Senate, especially as it pertains to this legislation and so forth in uh, in D.C. You know what? So I, I want to shift gears, though. Something else I think is important to talk about, and I've these sorts of things have been simmering on the back burner there's just been so much information to cover with coronavirus, with um, you know the 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 spread of the disease, the economic impact, the legislation that's been passed, all of the stuff surrounding coronavirus. Uh, it's it's hard to take a moment to talk about something that maybe takes a step back or a half a step back from where we are normally. Uh, with coronavirus, with with the things we would talk about, because there's so much, there's so much information. We've got Trump every day in front of journalists, which I've got some sound bites from yesterday's uh, presser out out on the White House lawn that was uh, that were interesting. I've got uh, a sound bite from Mike Lindell, the founder, owner, president, CEO of My Pillow, speaking yesterday. Uh, before Trump took to the podium, I want to share some of that as well. Um, but I want to get into next segment, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until next segment. I was looking at the clock here. I don't want to squeeze this in uh, because it'll it'll push us back. But but I want to talk about how we're responding to this. Actually, my wife forwarded me an article last night, CNBC, talking about Sweden. Headline of the article, uh, no lockdown here. Sweden defends its more relaxed coronavirus strategy. I just want to share this. I want to share this and talk about this. And I want to talk about the role of government, the conservatives' belief, the constitutional conservatives' belief that government has a limited role and that liberty is paramount, but that there is of course, a role for government to play in certain situations that normally that government wouldn't play. I mean, obvious things would be, say, like a a war, for example. That's not normal circumstances. And so other things have to be done at times when the republic is at risk, uh, is being threatened, its people are being threatened. What is that threshold? What does it then give the government the ability to do. All these things matter in our response to coronavirus uh, because we have liberties that are effectively effectively being at least uh, encouraged to be set aside. And in some cases, the government is saying you can't do X, Y, and Z, again, depending upon, upon where you live. Our federal government is giving us guidelines which is good, but there's other, you know, we've had uh, stay-in-place orders. We've got people, like I, I saw an article this morning that said 
the, the mayor of D.C. is threatening 90 days in jail for anyone who violates the stay-at-home order. So there's all sorts of stuff like this out there. And it's important to understand the, these issues of liberty, the role of government. And we're going to talk about this. And again, we haven't had really a chance to do that because there's been so much information it's been hard to take a half step back, but this is very, very important stuff. So we'll talk about this, break this down a little bit, raise some questions, uh, think through this a little bit. But I've got to take a time out here. You're listening to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. So I wanted to get into this. Again, my wife forwarded me this article, CNBC, last night. Actually, last night when she went to the grocery, I have to say this. We have been, of course, like you, life has, day-to-day life has has changed um, as we are socially distancing ourselves and being uh, very responsible in that sense. We um, the little things in life have suddenly for our kids, you know, what? even for me, in a sense, when my wife returned with the, the groceries, it was like uh, Christmas morning here to see what she had and had in the bags. And the kids were excited. The kids were jumping up and down in the kitchen. I kid you not. They were jumping up and down with excitement as I was uh, helping to to bring the groceries in. And anyway, so just thinking about this article when I got it and what she was doing when she sent it. She was waiting on pickup at uh, at one of the local grocers. But anyway, headline CNBC article here, no lockdown here. Sweden defends its more relaxed coronavirus strategy. Now, um, there's a key point. In the, so at the, head, at the beginning of this article, there's a, a bullet point. It says, unlike its immediate neighbors, Denmark, Finland, and Norway, Sweden has not closed its borders or its schools. Neither has it closed non-essential businesses or banned gatherings of two or more people like the UK and Germany. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting – I just want to have a conversation here. I'm not suggesting that certain measures shouldn't be taken. In fact, as I, as I discuss this with you, you'll, you'll know what I think. But I'm not trying to say that People shouldn't follow the guidelines or anything like this. I'm simply pointing out that Sweden has handled it differently. And so far, it's been, I mean, they're, they don't have a, a higher outbreak uh, or higher percentage of cases than, than other folks. So I'm going to read from this briefly. While the rest of Europe imposes severe restrictions on public life and closes borders and businesses, Sweden is taking a more relaxed approach on the coronavirus outbreak. Unlike its immediate neighbors, Denmark, Finland, and Norway, Sweden has not closed its borders or its schools. Neither has it closed non-essential businesses or uh, banned gatherings of more than two people like the UK and Germany. Sweden's response to the outbreak is being overseen largely, uh, largely by the country's Public Health Agency, it has taken a conspicuously different approach to the coronavirus from its international peers, trusting the public to adopt voluntary softer measures to delay the spread of the virus. This apparently laissez-faire approach has attracted criticism both from within Sweden from a group of epidemiologists as well as 
from other countries which are locking down public life to curb the outbreak. The public health agency's lead epidemiologist, a key figure in Sweden's national response to the coronavirus, is Anders Tegnell. He told CNBC that although his country's strategy to tackle the virus was different, the aim was the same. Quote, my view is that basically all European countries are trying to do the same thing. We're trying to slow down the spread as much as possible to keep healthcare and society working. And we have shown some different methods to slow down the spread, he told CNBC Monday. Quote, Sweden has gone mostly for voluntary measures because that's how we're used to working, Tegnell added. And we have a long tradition that it, it works rather well, end quote. He said the agency had explained to the population why social distancing was needed and, quote, so far it's been working reasonably well. Sweden has 3,700 confirmed cases of coronavirus and has recorded 110 deaths. The latest data from the public health agency shows. It then compares the numbers um, to other other nations in Europe, including Italy, Spain, um, which of course, and, and the UK, which of course have higher numbers. So this just got me to thinking, as I'd been thinking anyway, but just hadn't had the opportunity to, at this point, really get into this much. But what is, look, we, we talk on this show about limited government. We talk about liberty. Along comes coronavirus. The response from our government is at least to, in some cases, they're saying you can't do X, Y, and Z. Now, the, the question remains, because I, there, there are some out there who say, you know, individual's health is the responsibility of the individual. Um, and I, I, I agree with that, with that sentiment. My health is first and foremost my responsibility. But is there a circumstance, like with the coronavirus, there's so many question marks out there. There's question marks as to how this thing is transmitted. You'll see that it transmits from... Uh, surfaces, you know, if you touch an infected person, they say, and then touch your your face, the virus can enter your eyes, nose, your mouth. And, but there's there's other re- reports out there that say this thing is this thing is airborne. This thing is airborne. Now, they're they're studying air samples inside of hospitals, so it's not like they're just testing an air sample out in the middle of Monrovia where I am, and, and suddenly getting, um, you know, de- detecting this. But they're detecting this outside in the air, at least the uh, components of this thing. They're, they're picking up in places that doesn't, isn't where the, the patient immediately is out in the hallways, for example, of, of the hospital. And I don't know if it's because of the number of people and, you know, that, that they're treating in some of these places and all that. I don't know. But it raises this raises interesting questions for a free society because we want to maintain a free society and i want to got to take a break here when i get back i want to kind of walk through walk through the thought process here because we live we live in a world that's not uh, that, that has problems sometimes that we don't know how to solve or address or be responsible with uh, you know dealing with unless there are actions taken that are not 
that are justifiable for a season, for example, during this coronavirus season. So some of these things are not incompatible. The long-term loss of, you know, liberty, you, you know, just because of a dictator or a tyrant or a group of people that say you shouldn't be free, obviously a bad thing. But is there a time? Is there an opportunity? Is, is there a, a possible uh, scenario whereby we have to temporarily put our liberty on hold for something else? And in, in the case of, I mean, you go back to the Civil War and you look at some of the things Abraham Lincoln did, touted as the greatest president in American history. He took some very controversial actions, really made some strong executive uh, decisions. And we're better off uh, because of it. He led us through that tumultuous time. And likewise, this is different. And, of course, we've got the analogies to, to war. This is – I don't want to – this this is a, a huge problem, a, a very dire circumstance for those who are infected or where outbreaks have, have taken hold around this country and around the world. Uh, but I, sometimes I think this is – and I know I get – even Trump says this is – this is war, calling himself a wartime president. Um, I think in part I get what he's saying, but I also think that, especially for those who have fought in in war, I don't know that, uh, that that's how they would describe this. But it's definitely a problem, and maybe there is some level of metaphor. But anyway, when we get back, I want to talk about these things. When is it – what can the government do? What are we, are we in a situation that we shouldn't be in? Are these sorts of things justifiable? How do we – how do we mitigate and, and manage these things? So I want to talk about that when we return, but I got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Be advised, be advised, by the way, that listening can cause you to actually lean to the right. Listening to this program, be back in just a minute. Talking here about really the role of government, our P, our governments. What can governments do? In fact, you've heard Trump even allude a couple of times to looking at some sort of a national. You've heard rumors, I guess, a national quarantine. Trump continually comes out and says we're not looking. We don't think we'll have to do something like that. There's questions regarding the legality, the constitutionality of all those sorts of things. But what can a government do? I think these are important, fair questions, and so. Here, Look, I think we have to be careful, careful in both directions. Number one, number one, we have to safeguard our liberties. We know, as Reagan told us, that freedom, liberty is always simply one generation away from becoming extinct. This is the nature of freedom. The, the, the yearning of the human heart is to be free. God created us to be free, to have choice. And we're to be able to maximize as much of that choice, this side of heaven, as as humanly possible. There could arise situations where society, for whatever reason, we say we can't allow X. Now, I think, I think that, that should be absolutely limited. I think that there has to be darn good examples to where we begin saying someone can't make this choice. The obvious is the you know it harms the life, liberty, or property legitimately, not to hurt somebody's feelings, but legitimately the life, liberty, and property of someone else. 
before we start really kind of, I don't know, meddling around in that area. But you'll notice the life, the life of an individual. The life of an individual can certainly be taken by coronavirus. Now, on the one hand, as a conservative and and believing that responsibility is paramount to what it means to be a conservative, a, a constitutional conservative, we believe that we are first and foremost responsible for ourselves. We totally uh, reject the notion we reject the notion that seems to be uh, the the leading thought process from the radical left from culture from society from the government which tells us that we're all somehow magically responsible for the choices of everyone else but we're not responsible from the for the choices of ourselves for our own personal choices we reject that as complete sophistry and nonsense we believe that we are first and foremost responsible for ourselves our health is our responsibility um you know we we should first and foremost take care of ourselves we don't well we, we believe in helping other people we just don't believe in helping other people by force we believe in choosing to help other people how we think that we can best help other people sometimes the government just says just give them money well that's not necessarily the best way point is here point is here is that choice is paramount but on the other side of this on the other side of this we can't become so we shouldn't wear as a badge of honor this idea that no matter what the 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 consequences are we're on the side of you know we we never understand why at least temporarily we may we may have to take changes even at the direction of of our governor or through legislation, right? I mean, th- there comes a time when we have to say, look, this is at least worth discussing. Now, the onus, the responsibility lies on the side of those who want to curb or curtail the, the freedoms, in this case, temporarily. They have to explain why that's necessary. We shouldn't have to explain why we should get to keep those. But if it's limited, if it's got a timeline, a timetable, and if it's justifiable, then as responsible people, I think we should at least be willing to engage in that in that discussion. Some folks are not willing to engage. But this does affect the life of other people. And, and if we don't entirely know how it's transmitted, we should at least be willing to have that conversation. And some folks are not down with that whatsoever. And I think that that's, that's not being reasonable at least to hear the conversation because it's clearly we got we got a scenario in our hands that we're not we haven't dealt with before anyway long in this segment got to wrap up have a lot more to say about this maybe get into this uh into hour two today but i've got to take a time out you're listening to conservative not better talk i'm your host todd huff back in just a minute Welcome back. Now, you may disagree with some of the things I said last segment. All I'm saying is that a, con- a conversation is warranted. This is, this is part of living in a society, in a world that um, candidly is, is broken. We have to figure out the best way to manage some of these broken components. And when something like an unknown disease comes around, like coronavirus, there's still lots of questions. Heck, we're debating. I'm looking right now at Fox. There's CDC uh, is considering 
recommending the use of masks in public. And there's a whole debate and so forth around this. There's just a lot of things that we that we don't know. People, you know, disinfecting groceries. People, uh, of course, we're doing uh, social distancing and all this sort of stuff. So there's. To some degree, we're learning as we go. We don't know how this thing is completely transmitted. They have an idea, of course, now, but lots of questions. We need to have, be willing to have conversations. Anyway, I've got to wrap up here. Join me for hour two SDGC in a few.